1: Welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Basketball Show. I'm your host, Tony Levitt, joined, as always, by college basketball's assist king, Jerry Meyer. Jerry, welcome to 2020.
0: Yeah. New um, Year. Good to be here with you. We did it. We're
1: here. Yeah. And now, we, now we've got some basketball to talk about. We're going to talk about the evolution of the modern game today. Really excited because uh, it's not every basketball show that has someone with the institutional knowledge that Jerry does to be able to teach us the ins and outs of the game. So really excited about that. But first, I need to find out. Jerry has been away from the show for a week. And so we're going to catch up on last week's show. But first, I need to know, Jerry, how did you spend your holidays?
0: have uh, with family, <clears throat> have uh, both my children here with me, and spend some time with my sisters and my mom. You know, pretty much the usual. What everyone does. Wholesome man, Jerry Meyer. Love that. Love
1: that. Well, last week, last week without you, I broke down my personal list of the five craziest things that. Um, that happened in college basketball in 2020, and so before we get into the 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 main event of today's show, a little basketball education with Jerry, I wanted to run down that list real quick for you uh, and see if you yeah I'd love to hear it yeah see if you have anything that I missed there anything that you think uh, I overrated so starting off uh, let's see if I can remember the order I know I know the number the five I'm not sure I remember the order so I'm gonna try to do it in order so number five I had Zion's shoe. Zion, yeah. Zion's shoe blown. I actually, I think this was higher, not important. So I had Zion's shoe because I just thought like seeing someone of that size, that magnitude, that moment exploding out of his shoe in the moment was crazy. Then it led to his injury. Then that led to the whole conversation about whether or not he should stay. And then he came back. And then he got a crazy shoe deal, like a super um, lots of money shoe deal, which is awesome. And I just felt like all this circus surrounding Zion's shoe had to make the list for me.
0: Um, yeah, it makes sense to me. It's, that was one of the weirdest things I've ever seen. I've never seen a shoe completely explode. <laughs> I mean, I've seen guys, I mean, I've had it happen to me. You, you pop a seam in your shoe, you know, you, it's your shoe, you make a cut, it, you know, breaks apart, but that thing exploded. <laughs> I know. And you think, like, nowadays, A, the
1: shoes are made much nicer than they were, you know, 20, 30 sure. years ago. And two, like, people play so many games. Like, Zion was playing, you know, it was his freshman year, so he had just finished his AAU circuit. And it's like, when you play that many games, you would have thought that Zion was changing his shoes fairly frequently, but he wasn't. That was, like, part of the problem. Oh, is that
0: the word? He was using some worn-out shoes? Well, he he liked
1: those shoes, and he wore them. That's at- that's
0: how I did it. I, <laughs> I can't, I, like... Watching the game today, you're talking about the evolution of the game. I mean, these guys like wear a new pair of shoes every game. Yeah, that like button, in the yeah. NBA, guys, like yeah. I couldn't have done that. Uh, surely watched... they're breaking them in, getting them ready. But... Maybe, maybe
1: they wear them for a practice or two before they uh, wear them again. There's got to be I, something I like that going on. I have, maybe not, that's...
0: I have not researched that, but yeah, once I got comfortable in a pair of basketball shoes, I was going to wear them to the end.
1: I, I was thinking about this. I was talking to my dad. He was visiting for the holidays, and he was asking me, like, because I told him I joined a, a rec league, and he was like, "Do you need new basketball shoes?" And I said, "No, I like my basketball shoes." And I was thinking about it. I've like had these for three years. <laughs> should uh-huh. probably should probably get new ones if I wanted to. to How's your it?
0: game? Have you played yet?
1: Uh, games haven't started yet. I'm 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 hoping you, to. You you're uh, training? I I'm definitely hitting the gym. You <laughs> can't say I've been on a court since the summer. Um, I'm hoping to make some smart passes, you know, get involved in the board, yeah. play fundamental defense, and if some corner threes appear, then you know, I'll, I'll do what yeah. I have to do. But get, I get ready I, for
0: those threes. That's right. You get that's some right. reps. You need to get in the gym. Get well, some shots I, up. If
1: I know anything about rec league is that everyone thinks that they're going to be shooting corner threes. And like inevitably, I'm going to end up playing point guard. And that's just going to be a disaster for everybody. <laughs> so they'll be like, oh, yeah, you played in high school. I was like, yeah, at a tiny school <laughs> yeah. in a terrible conference. But we digress. So number five for me, or one of the five, <laughs> was Zion Chu. I think below Zion Chu, I had just th- the general phenomenon of John Morant. I mean, this dude in 2018 was like the third best player on his team. And then all of a sudden, he's like the number two player uh, in-, in the draft. And he just spent all of 2019 yamming on dudes, like <laughs> trying to kill them. And like and then he continued doing that in the NBA. And I just thought that, like, that was crazy. That rapid ascent in evolution. Yeah,
0: phenomenal talent. I, I love watching him play. I loved watching him. You know, last year at Murray State, because of course you get you get the athleticism and the dunking. I just love what he can do with his left hand, <clears throat> his passing with one hand. Uh, you talk about an evolved game, kind of breaking all the rules of you know olden day fundamentals, but pulls it off you know with great skill. And then his his vision and his passing, uh, I think. I think he has, a, he has a special sense of the court.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, there's something special. As much as we like to talk about analytics and we're going to talk about efficiency and, and what makes the most sense in modern basketball in the back half of the show, but there's something special about that, that playground, just like I'm going to take you one-on-one, take you to the rack. Like as much as we talk about, you know, making smart passes and taking corner threes because they're efficient, just being able to break someone down one-on-one like he does... And attack the rim like he does. It's visceral, and that's kind of like when I thought, like when I was little, about like what was like really good about basketball. Was just like that mono and mono that he has, and he's really, you know, I don't think he's stupid about it. But I just think it's amazing, you know, when you see him going up among the trees and just trying to dunk. You know, it's crazy.
0: Um, I, I like that visceral, and the guys that are real, really special. They do you get a visceral response mm-hmm. or experience when you watch him. He's definitely one of those guys. But he's he's also that guy who has that one-on-one game, Exactly. but he sees the court. He's a guy that makes everything easier for his teammates because he can create a four-on-three. He can create a three-on-two. Your man's going to have to help on him, or your man's going to have to rotate to the guy whose man helped on him. So he would be a very, very fun player to play with.
1: Yeah, I'm sure we're going to talk in the back half about how important it is to get you know, opposing defenses in rotation. That's already, when they're moving, there's more, plenty of opportunities for you to attack that defense. So, so I had John Morant in there. At number three, I had Virginia's buzzer beater to tie the game against Purdue. And that was just kind of my entry point to talk about Virginia's insane year, because obviously the first, the year before, the first six, uh, one to lose to a 16, yep. and then to go and win the national title just a year later, and they had like a million close games. I know you can only play six games in the NCAA tournament, but it felt like they played 20, you know, down-to-the-wire games, and, and the buzzer beater against purdue that i will never forget that that pass from kihei clark three quarters of the court with two seconds left who thinks that like who thinks i'm gonna pass here like all i could think of when i every time i rewatched the 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 highlight and when i was watching it live all i could think of was shoot shoot there's two seconds left you're down Mm -hmm. you gotta shoot and he passed that ball it was crazy
0: yeah yeah um Virginia winning close games, uh, three great guards. I'm going to call DeAndre Hunter a guard. That he's basically playing the two in the NBA. Uh, but you got a guy, you know, Guy and, and Jerome. Uh, you're going to win ball games. Uh, they had a great team, but it really wasn't – I don't think – were people expecting Virginia to win it? You know, I wasn't, especially what happened in the past year. And it showed a certain style. You know, Tony Bennett's gotten some criticism. Uh, you know, his style of play is not going to do it uh, in March. So it, w- it, it was very interesting to watch. Very happy for him, and it's nice to see something different. And I, th- I thought those three perimeter players were fantastic throughout the tournament.
1: Yeah, and and you know we were talking off mic about disingenuous criticisms in basketball right before we started, and I thought I always thought that the criticism of Tony Bennett's defensive system was disingenuous. When you talk about like, well, they won last year, well, what did that team have in addition to Tony Bennett's defensive style? Three pros, right? When you have pros, you're you're gonna do things, and well,
0: that that's kind of the point, <laughs> <laughs> right? Like it, if you're playing it, it, running he had, gun, he had pros. All right. So you, you can play a lot of different styles. It's a belief in the style and it's an execution of the style. Mm-hmm. And that team did it, you know, and I think more of the criticism of Tony has been the offense when I've been critical, you know, I thought a couple of years, you know, they're running that blocker cutter offense, which his dad created, you know, basically two guys are screeners <clears throat> and then you have two running off screens and then a hybrid, the fifth guy's like a hybrid guy. They, I thought they went through a period less, like, maybe two, three, four years ago where they didn't really run it with precision. And there wasn't a real, you know, meticulous effort to get that perfect screen, to rub off that screen just right. Like, they're just kind of running around, and that's what we see with a lot of college teams today. It's like, yeah, I, I you're on offense, <laughs> I guess you're running an offense, but are you really running an offense? And this Virginia team, um, I thought they really ran some offense in that championship run.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of of college basketball fans, I should say, um, don't quite understand that most college teams don't actually run plays. They run motions and sets. yeah, And And a
0: a big word right now is action. Exactly.
1: And whatever you want to call it, um, sometimes I feel like college basketball teams are going through the motions. Not Totally agree. The
0: it's one of my pet peeves <laughs> It's when I want to change the channel because I, I have little tolerance. I, I want to see a sense of purpose. Yes. Almost the entire time. What is the point of running 15 seconds of nothing? You know, I don't get it. I, I don't want to watch that. <laughs> you know, let's get to it. Let's get the action, you know. That's why I like the 24-second clock. Let's, let's get it going, man. Get in your action. If it's going to take you, you know, I, I want to see action right away. I completely I made agree. And, and,
1: <laughs> and we can move on after this. But one of the things that drives me nuts is when – uh, a point guard will be pressured full court. But it's just one-on-one, and he'll insist on allow the point guard will make basically the the big who inbounded the ball set screens like three times before he crosses mm-hmm. half court, just crossing over, crossing over, crossing over. You're initiating your offense at 22 seconds. You just wasted like an eighth of the clock. That's right. stupid.
0: Well, you, you might do that if you want to mess with that defender. I guess. Like, uh, well, uh, yes. <laughs> I used to play point guard. And it's not fun when you try to pressure full court. If you have a big guy you're trying to avoid, and you know you got physical contact involved, that might be a reason why sometimes that takes place to basically try to beat down that defender to open things All up. Right, but, I, but I, but I, you know, I, I'm, I'm pick. You know, I'm being picky here. That's why but we have here. I, I, I agree with what you're saying. I, and I didn't like that when I played. I think if a point guard is any good. Well, let's put it this way. If a point guard can't bring the ball up the court one-on-one against pressure, he should not be a college point guard, you know. So I, I agree. I think there's a lot of overkill with that. I'm would be. i I'm the type of guy, get to the point guard, they want to pressure, beat that guy, and let's play five on four and let's look for a shot right yep. now. I, I don't understand, you know, like you hear from announcers, um, pass up the wing, guy takes a three in transition. Of course, if he makes it, it's a good shot. But if he happens to miss, oh, that was a quick shot. I don't think that's what they wanted. You you need to run some – why do you need to run offense? I mean, you got an open shot in transition with your body moving towards your target. A shot you work on in practice. This is not the 1970s, you know, or in the 1950s. This is 2020. You take that shot. You know, and, an and if, you're, if you're up and if you've got five on four, why well, you want to set it up? Let's set it up. So now we let the defense get set. We have to play five on five. Yeah, I do not like that type of basketball. You, you look for the advantage and you attack. If you have to run action, you have good, crisp, precise action that makes sense for your personnel. And let's play basketball. The, I completely Quit wasting agree. time out there.
1: And, and to bring this full circle one of the craziest things about Kihei Clark's pass against Purdue was that somehow from he he and Kyle guy ran after that rebound so in essence Purdue was playing five on three defense around the basket and still Clark made such a good pass that it was a one-on-one when uh Akite was shooting that floater so that was that was my number three number one well, th- it was
0: unexpected too exactly well, and that's the beauty of the play yeah. as you laid out earlier. And that's the type of basketball I like, yeah.
1: So so that was number three. Number two I had was from this season, pretty much the only thing that happened during this actual basketball season was Stephen F. Austin over Duke. When you talk about how good Duke has been at home in the non-conference over the past two decades, when you talk about the gulf in talent, when you talk about the fact that it happened in overtime, the fact that there was a buzzer beater, the way it was a buzzer beater, the steal, the run out, the close... And and then after the fact, when you find out that um, Bain, the player who hit the uh, buzzer beater, his family obviously had experienced devastation in their community and he had to go fund me and it raised some crazy amount of money. That whole story was just too much to leave off. And so for me, that was my yeah. number two. Yeah,
0: great story. <clears throat> and, you know, great for Stephen F. Austin and their program and all their individuals. Uh, Kyle Keller's been coaching a long time. You could really tell it meant a lot to him. And I think it served as a wake up call for Duke. It seems like they've been a lot better since then. Um, and I would throw—I I, I agree with you. I think the Duke loss is of a more magnitude, but Evansville beating Kentucky in Kentucky, right? yeah, Lexington—that was pretty big too. I just just to throw out that. another one, but
1: yeah, I would go with Duke. I almost included that simply because, and plus, Evans-
0: Evansville is close to Lexington. You know, you got a little. Well, I was there. just
1: going to say because both Stephen F. Austin and Evanson were purple.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's a power color.
1: That's right. You know, the color of royalty. That's right. And uh so honestly, you know, you guys at home, keep an eye on teams that wear purple. Maybe
0: LSU and Clemson football. <laughs> that's right.
1: That's, that's, that's it's a power fair, color. That's a fair point. So, so that was my number 2. Not much to talk about there. It's just awesome. Every time every time I watch that highlight, and I've already watched it a few times since. It's just it's just crazy. I was like watching the game with my mom. I couldn't believe it over Thanksgiving. So, that was my number 2.
0: And, and as a Maryland guy, there had to be something fun Oh, you to you watch better it believe yeah. And especially for we, full disclosure
1: here. <laughs> oh, 100%. 100%. And and to be honest, uh, a lot of the critiques you have, had about motion offense earlier are things that I think strongly about Maryland. I wish they would set stronger picks, but yeah. that's that's besides that. That's
0: big for me, man. I love a guy who can set a screen and a guy who can use a screen. Like not to harp on that, but if
1: you if your offense that's relies a on a double screen to initiate the point guard, if you set a weak screen at the first one, then you've already taken out two parts of your offense because you're not gonna have like the second pick be any anything good because you've allowed the first defender right. to come follow you. I need to move on because I'll Well no
0: we need to talk about this. Uh, there are times, you know, I, I think trying to educate the viewer is an important thing. I think And me. You know, like <laughs> like, I, like I I love soccer, but I'm I'm still I mean, very much learning soccer. I am learning basketball as, as well. But you know, when my son gives me pointers and tells me something helps me enjoy the game. <clears throat> but like the the two like a staggered screen, double screen. Sometimes the first guy will kind of miss the screen on purpose if he's trying to free up to do something else. You know, you don't want to get tangled up. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times when you watch, you got, you got to think, okay, I'm looking at the action. Say three guys are involved. Say it's a double staggered ball screen. What is the priority? <clears throat> now, now, if it's to get the point guard a shot or the guy with the ball, then, boom, you want two great screens, right? If you're trying to slip the first guy, maybe he's going to get a flare screen and go to the corner, you're going to try to skip it to him. Just a random possibility here. Then he's going to set a looser screen. Um, so that, that's, I, I, that's one thing to think about when we judge offenses and what they're doing, make sure as, as fans, we're trying to get a grasp of what's the ultimate objective of this action. Now, the problem is I think a lot of teams, they don't have it. <laughs> I think they're just running a, here. Let's just draw a play here. And they execute it like that. I think the great coaches, um, X and O's are important. But X and O's, they don't really win the game. The players do. And then the synergy between the players and the X and O. So having the proper X and O's for your personnel, but then really making sure your team understands, this is what we really want. This is what we'll take. And, you know, if we got – if nothing else, it's our third option. Mm-hmm. And everyone buys into that. And, and that's what you see from great teams and teams that make a run at the end of the season.
1: I, honest, honest, to God, I feel smarter every time you open your mouth. So this is cool. So that, so, so that was my number two. We had Stephen F. Austin over Duke inside Cameron Indoor Stadium. My number one was the only off-court story. And you mentioned maybe the FBI. This wasn't exactly the FBI uh, investigation, but it was it was tangentially related. My number one story was the NCAA gives Kansas a notice of allegations uh, in late September. Within a week, Kansas has its... Um, Late Night at the Fog announcement,
0: you know, like, <laughs> where... where uh, this is be my number one, maybe. This, this, <laughs> this is, is crazy. Is, this is my number one, right? <laughs> okay, Bill this Self, is your number one, yeah, too. Okay, Bill I, I Self, like where it. the giant... I forgotten
1: already. I had two, and then I remembered this, uh, and I was like, oh, my gosh, this is obviously my number one. I think this really was the in- inspiration... <laughs> for for that episode. And, and he wears the Adidas shirt. He wears the chains and announces that Snoop Dogg is performing at Late Night at the Fog. And then Snoop Dogg goes and shoots money cannons and at um, pole dancers during the event. And <laughs> sounds K- fun. <laughs> I know. It sounds like exactly no, what you would get. crazy. Oh, wow. And then Kansas was like, whoa, we didn't know what Snoop Dogg I was yeah. like, boy, Snoop Dogg has been a cultural icon for over two decades. You knew what you were getting when you invited Snoop Dogg and you wanted that. It was the biggest slap in the face I could ever imagine to the NCAA, and I was here for all of the smoke.
0: Um yeah, what What was the excuse they said? Snoop said they had, or his people said they had acrobats. Was that the term used for the dancers? I did not know. I think know. it was like an acrobat act. <laughs> Whatever it was. But that, that was crazy, and uh, as you pointed out, given the circumstances that Kansas was in uh, made it even crazier.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was, it was just awesome, and um, every single word... Uh, that Ken, Kansas said after the fact was a bunch of malarkey. Yeah, smart that was people. pretty much my take.
0: <laughs> they're they, they, they smart people. Well, they know Self what they're doing. Well, was pimping out there in the... Can- I mean, like the day of, like before mm-hmm. it happened. You yeah. know, he had the chain and the Adidas shirt. Which is legendary. So they were playing it up. Mm-hmm. And then Snoop gave him a little more, maybe... I could see where it was a little more than they expected. But you got to expect the unexpected with Snoop, right?
1: Yeah. And of course, the irony is that uh, of the players that have been uh, mentioned in conjunction with Kansas and, and this investigation, Silvio De is the only one that actually made it to Kansas, and he's just not been a factor for them. He's playing, yeah, but like he, he's he not. hasn't,
0: he hasn't looked very good, has he?
1: No, and and of course the other team that was uh, involved in De Sousa's recruitment was Maryland, yep. uh, and. Can't imagine they'd be any better with him, either. So uh, that was that was my top five craziest stories of 20, uh, 2019. Very curious to see what, I think we're gonna have to do that episode again next year, um, but very curious to see what will happen this year. Uh, that 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 I'm glad to hear that you uh, agree with most of my assessments. Yeah, it's, it's a solid list. Thank yep. you. So we're going to take a quick break. That took longer than I expected, and I'm not unhappy about that. Uh, on the other side, we're going to talk about three guard offenses, switching on defense, and the evolution of the modern game. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? What's your name? Bob Marley one law rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. All right, and we're back with Jerry Meyer, college basketball's assist king. And Jerry already in the front half of this episode uh, has been educating me and hopefully you guys at home too about some things about modern basketball. But in the back half, we really wanted to start off the year with some smart conversations about the way basketball is played because you know there, there really isn't so much going on uh, game-wise in terms of college basketball. So this is an opportunity for us to really hone in on what we want to watch for as conference play really begins in earnest. So, Jerry, you emailed me yesterday and you said, let's talk about switching on defense, let's mm-hmm. talk about three-guard lineups, and let's talk about how those two play into modern basketball. And the truth is, we already got into a bit of that on the first half. Um, But the first example we have to talk about is all the way from the beginning of this decade, we had Kentucky with John Wall, Eric Bledsoe, and that was a very unique and athletic team. And so they did a lot of this stuff early on.
0: Yeah. um, I don't know if it's a watershed moment or situation, but... uh you know, it's Kentucky, so everyone's very aware of what's going on with Kentucky. And they had John Wall, and then they added Eric Bledsoe to the recruiting class. So immediately, and Eric wasn't a really well known name, but oh, really? the people in the know had him. Well, he played for a Ma and Pa AAU team. Um, he, he wasn't on Slam cover, Slam magazine. You know, he wasn't John Wall. He wasn't not a McDonald's All American. The people in the know did have him as a five star. So the people in the know are like, how's this going to work? You know, Eric wants the ball. Eric's a point guard. Of course, John Wall, same deal. But Kentucky made it work. And, um, you know, Eric Bledsoe did a lot to make it work because he did take sort of the second spot. and He had his time to handle the ball. But you saw that work at Kentucky, and then Cal saw it working. Coach Cal, so you started hearing this talk of – you know positionless basketball, and it's not like Coach Calipari invented that, but he did kind of coin that phrase and get it into popular use positionless basketball. And you saw it work, and I think you saw where Cal saw he had an opportunity to use it for recruiting because then, because your best guards are typically point guard types, mm-hmm. right? Because the and the, to be honest and this used to be a dirty word. I'm just going to go on a little tangent here. Uh, The dirty word was combo guard in the scouting business. Because a lot of people said combo guard, that means he's not really a point. He's not really a shooting guard. Personally, I would call that a tweener. If you're not quite this, you're not quite that. To me, combo guard is what you want. And if you look at the NBA, like Markel Fultz. um, he's He's starting at point guard. He was always considered a shooting guard in high school. Oh, he's not a true point guard. He's not a true – you know, I hate hearing that true point guard and pure this and pure that. There's no purity. You know, we're talking pragmatism. (laughs) Let's win the game, get the numbers. So you look at the NBA, almost all the point guards are combo guards. They're guys that everyone said, oh, he's not really a point guard. And I get that when I'm doing these high school guys. I'm like, no, he's a point – why? Because he shoots too good? Yeah. <laughs> you know, because he, he can too, score. Or he's Like, too do tall? we want a point guard, you know, um, like, do we want our point guards to be Greg Paulus? You know, just <laughs> dribble, the, get the ball across half court and make an entry pass and then, you know, maybe run over there and set a screen or what? No. We want a point guard that can make it happen. Someone you know, we want a guy who can do everything, who creates the offense, and you can't do that very well, if you can't shoot. So I digress on that. But um, well, you know, yeah, and it's it's me.
1: totally, and it this is at all levels, right? People talk about pure pure point guards in the NBA, but you know who's bringing up the ball, initiating offense? Giannis, guy seven feet tall. You got Donch- Le- LeBron, Doncic. You know, you know who had a, a the best really, player, exactly, right? You know <laughs> that's who had why had I a really like the 24-second
0: movie? clock, because I don't need to see Johnny out there dribbling for ten seconds. You know, get the ball in the hands of the best playmaker. And let's get it going.
1: You know who had a really good week just past couple weeks? Michael Porter Jr. out in Denver. Yeah, who, you know, days. we didn't get to see so much in college, but again, someone who doesn't look like a point guard but knows how to initiate the offense, it's can handle playmaker. the ball in the pick and roll, can shoot, can attack. And why are, you know, the question is, and I think you're answering, why why are we waiting for somebody else to initiate the offense for them?
0: Yeah, and I I liked a phrase, you know, a phrase you said just caught me. He doesn't look like a point guard. And that's kind of, you know, I guess my kind of beef right now or the ax I'm grinding is forget what stuff looks like. You know, this is 2020, our first show, 2020. Don't forget about the basketball you played. Look at the game now. And there are no rules that the point guard has to be the shortest guy on the court. You know, we figured that out. I guess Magic Johnson helped us with that. And um, it's a brand-new game, man. And these guys are all skilled. So you got your your guy who's six eight who played you know small forward or power forward in college perhaps, and you know coming up, he he dribbles as well as the six two point guard in many cases, and he can do so much more because of his other physical attributes. Mm-hmm.
1: And you also see now we're now we're completely going off the rails, but I'm, it's good. You also see. Stronger point guards all of a sudden going down into the block, which I like. That like, Yes, inverting the offense. Exactly. Like, who's to say that just because the the size mismatch isn't 6'11 yeah. over 6'7, you can't go into the point? I love when Marcus Smart does that. I think he is one of the smartest and strongest players in the NBA. There's
0: no and, guard who wants to guard that. Yeah, right?
1: <laughs> and, and, and he wasn't doing that at Oklahoma State. At Oklahoma State, he was driving the ball and going to yam on people. And you're,
0: and you're making defenders um, – ideally defend positions of the court they're not comfortable with. So a lot of guards are not comfortable guarding in the post, right? A lot of bigs are not comfortable guarding out in the perimeter. So that's part of modern contemporary basketball, just trying to invert the offense, get guys in spots that are uncomfortable, which leads to why teams want to switch, and they want players who can switch. And I must say one other thing. When I think of point guards or guards posting up – uh, Gary Payton and Mark Jackson. Yeah. I think those of are the two guys who, you know, were groundbreakers. Early adopters. Yeah. right. Like they were on the forefront of that. I think Jason Kidd maybe posted a little bit. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I mean, all guards have a time. John Stockton setting the screen up for the big guy. I mean, I always loved that play that the Jazz ran where Stockton would hit the, ring, the wing, make that UCLA cut down to the block, and then he would go cross screen for Malone. Tough as nails. Took a lot of tough shots. But when you have a a point guard who can screen, so I'll go from here, it's very valuable, right? Because it's John Stockton's guy going to switch off, and that doesn't sound very good because he's guarding Carl Malone. And if Stockton's tough enough to pick that guy off, you're in trouble. But uh, the ability, versatility as a skill. Let's let's look at it that way. Um, I think Jay Billis and other people have said playing hard is a skill. So it's kind of on that tip. Let's expand our view of what a skill is in basketball. And, you know, technically, versatility may not be a skill, but highly, highly valued. So, like, in my scouting, when you see a player who can, you know, guard most any position, um, he has a skill set that's well-rounded. You also love players who have a niche or a niche, but that versatility where a coach can say, "Man, we can switch with this guy on multiple positions. We can play him in multiple spots on the court offensively. He can contribute in multiple ways offensively. Um, he He rebounds both ends for us. You know, guys like that are so valuable for today's game, the way it's being played. Mm-hmm.
1: And so I, I want to
0: bring this full circle
1: back to the college game because we you know, we've mentioned a couple times the NBA already. Um, and without without question, the NBA is significantly, significantly more efficient than the college game. And so, so, that so, is a great way to put it, and so, so true. And and so the question is, when, when a college team is—and I want to bring this back to Kentucky— when a college team is running one of these three-guard sets, let's say, mm-hmm. what, are, what are the drawbacks? What are the things that, like, you might say— a college team that's running this, I'm worried about X, Y, and Z that I know in the NBA they'll take care of because they're on top of it.
0: Um, I mean nothing really. Uh, that that's type of ball I like. Um, well, where could where could uh, they help they me out off? on this? I, like, I mean, I, I want those three guards to be my my concern, and then help refine my answer. <clears throat> but my immediate thought to me it's just how good are the players? You know, so if you got three really good guards that you know, have basically, you know, not perfectly complete games. You know, they can dribble, pass, shoot. You know, to me, it's just how good are they? Structurally, I have no problem with it as long as they can defend and rebound. Mm -hmm. You know, you got to hold your own on the other end. But, man, to me, the game is about spacing, movement, and explosiveness. And the the type of powerball... Where you're going for length over quickness, you know, type. If you're valuing that as a coach and you're trying to pound the ball inside, um, I I just that's not my type of ball, man. (laughs) I just don't think it's the best way to play the game, and I for sure don't like to watch it.
1: (laughs) Okay, so and so let's let's talk about a team that you mentioned in the first half last year's Virginia team when you had. Uh, let's choose the three players that you mentioned. You had Ty Jerome, you had Kyle Guy, and you had DeAndre Hunter. Three guys yeah. who could be the ball handler in a pick and roll, and also be you know off guys on the wing. So, so what were the things that you saw them do on offense that really set, says to you, see, this is why I like the three guard or three ball handler yeah. set.
0: Well, <clears throat> you know, Virginia with that that crew a little different than a lot of three guard setups in that it, it it's not. Pri- a lot of three-guard setups, it's primarily about dribble penetration. And Virginia's doing a lot of screening off the ball and trying to free guys off the ball. What What I liked about that Virginia team, um, DeAndre Hunter, he just had a jack-of-all-trades, and he could play with size. He could score inside. He could get to the rim, draw fouls. You know, he was a great small forward. And it, it did all the things you'd want from a small forward. Loved uh, guy's ability to move without the basketball. Ty Jerome just had – just such great court awareness and a sense of where people are going to be. You know, they're just three – they're three NBA players, and they were playing in the Tony Bennett system, and they embraced it. They did it well. Uh, they played well together. I find it interesting, if I may real quick. Like, I watched DeAndre Hunter play the other night, and basically he was initiating their offense. Like, he was the guy. Like, maybe – he, he say he didn't dribble it up, but kind of like how Dirk – and I'm not comparing the two, but I'm trying to – let's think outside the box. What, I, what do I mean by initiate the offense? When you really are doing your action to score, who has the ball? You know, Kobe maybe wasn't always the point guard, but Kobe initiated the offense, you know, the most – the high majority of the time. And that's what DeAndre Hunter was doing. And I'm, and I'm thinking, you know, people in college, he was like a 3-4. Um, and, you know, they had Cam Reddish just tucked away in the corner. And it was DeAndre Hunter uh, running all the action. But th- that's an example of you know, evolution of the game. Call the positions what you want, but in that situation, and, and it was many times during the game, DeAndre, DeAndre Hunter was the playmaker.
1: So what I'm hearing from you is not necessarily a push to say, you know I think three-guard lineups are the way to go. I hear you saying, put your best players
0: on the floor, and they'll figure it out because they're smart call them a go- call them whatever you want you need three dudes who can make plays <laughs> I think ideally and then guys who can finish off plays but to have three instigators <clears throat> three like that creators word. that's what I love you know if you got two that's good if you just have one well at least you got one and then you know those poor teams that don't have anyone who can really create a play and they're counting on the coach you know drawing up their buckets. I learned that from my coaching. Uh, you can. It's tough to coach two points or three points. I mean, you have systems and everything, but you got to have guys that can make the shot. You have to have guys who can create the situations, deliver the pass, create the um, double team to get a team into rotation.
1: So let's so let's switch to the other side of the ball then and talk about switching because. Sure the i think the old school way of thinking about switching is you have to you have to watch out you have to watch out because yeah um, there, there used to be a fear of switching <laughs> because because you know the fear is inevitably we're going to end up with a 7 footer in the post against you know, a guy who's my size, who's five nine, somehow. And we right. didn't have a guy who was five nine on the court before we started switching. But all of a sudden, we're worried about someone, you know, in the post against Hakeem Olajuwon. Hakeem Olajuwon's retired, but we're still worried about yeah. that. And
0: I want to address that. Keep
1: going, but no, let's don't forget that point. No, let's start right there. Well, so, see,
0: that, all right. Um, in my coaching career, you know, which I haven't coached in a while, I've been doing this business. But, <clears throat> you know, I grappled with the switching thing. And what I found um, from being on the offensive side, you know, my team's on offense and we're being switched on, and obviously being on the defensive side, if the big fear is the mismatch, here's what I often found to be the case. Most offensive teams, when they see that mismatch, it takes them out of what they're used to doing, out of their offense, now we're going to exploit the mismatch. So say you're getting post up. I've seen so many teams. Oh, we got to get it to the guy. Tiny, tiny's guarding. We got to get it to him. And a lot of players force passes, make bad passes. It takes them out of the normal situation, you know, that they're used to playing within with their offense. And I think most coaches right now are finding that's a risk worth taking. And then if you can find personnel where you don't have a five eight guy getting switched off, you know, you got a bunch of six five, six, six guys who are athletic, why wouldn't you switch? You know, and, and let's just take
1: an example from, from today's top 10. So if you're playing Kansas... I think the best player on their offense is Devon Dotson. He is the one who can create a shot most easily for any of his teammates. Yeah. And you want, let's say, uh, Yudoka Azebuke, uh going one-on-one in the post rather than uh, trusting Dotson. Because you know what? Doke gets a lot of his points based on other people's actions.
0: And that's how basketball is now. Because it is very difficult to score one-on-one in the post. Mm-hmm. And People it used to be fronting. in the olden days, right, everyone was trying to deny the post. And you know this is the style of ball I, I was brought up playing. So the post players trying to seal, get an angle. You're feeding them the ball, or it leads to an easy shot. Drop no one, step. They don't right. You don't see drop steps anymore. I mean, every once in a while, because the defense does not give angles. They play right behind the post. Typically, if it's two big guys, and they push them out. Very and conservative. It's like, and it's hard to score one on one in the post. Uh, very hard. Um, I remember uh, you talk about creating offense. Most big guys do feed off their playmakers. That's why having three guys who can make plays, I mean, if you're a big guy on that team, you're like, yes. And even if I'm not getting traditional post feeds, you know, it's a lot of the big guys don't want that. It's so hard to score in those situations. So they'd rather get the dump-off pass for a dunk or be freed up to get a rebound. A little antidote from the business, um, you know, I worked with Shannon, and I've been in this like 16 years. And Shannon Terry, our CEO, played college basketball with him, and he knows the game. Uh, Worked with him at Rivals. Then when I came over here to 24-7, after Shannon started 24-7, he told me, he's like, Jerry, I I can evaluate a point guard better than you. And I'm a little offended because I was a point guard. That's some heat. And I'm not saying he's right, (coughs) because he wasn't. He really loved Casey Hill. (laughs) So I'm not going to – but it made me think – and then he made an argument. Why? He said because I was a big guy who really wasn't that great, and I needed you. You know, I needed a point guard to create my offense. So, you know, basically, his point was: I think I have a better appreciation for what makes a point guard great because I was dependent on a point guard. So, it's a very interesting line of thinking.
1: It sounds like it. Sounds like you need a you need to invite him to the show so that he can he can defend his uh, no, recruiting he, takes.
0: Yeah. Well, he was great. Um, he got on the show when we first started in the spring, talking NBA draft. We had a good time. Yeah, we'll get we'll get him back on later, like in a month or so. Sounds good. Because Shannon does know the game, and he, you know, and he's got a point. I see the game uh, through a point guard's uh, lens, and he sees it, you know, through a four man inside out side guy. I, I, lens.
1: Literally, I can only view like. A basketball court comfortably from the elbow, like that's that's just like my whole life, like, like physically seeing I, like, like, the Like when I'm imagining something, I'm imagining it from uh, the perspective of a two guard, you know, like okay, I got you. like because yeah. that's why like, I, I grew up. That's what I, you played. I, I, sh- I played two, and again, it's what shot. we're talking
0: about here for the fans to get outside your box, you know, mm-hmm. and it's challenging, and you know, I think you know we can make a point, a life point, that is <laughs> this is good for life to be able to take your mind and see things from a different perspective. And, and that's what I try to do with sports. All, all the sports, you know, try to use, uh, To me, it's the joy in sports, one of the great... I mean, I love competition and I love drama, but especially I like the competition. And then you, the icing on the cake often is the drama at the end. But to try to expand my mind and see it through different positions, see it through the coach, try to really get a feel for what's going on that's what i love about sports i, th- I you know it's, it's mind expanding mhm
1: okay so so i want i i'm i'm trying to be mindful of the time and get everybody out here um, under 45 minutes but i do want to get one last thing on the switching conversation yeah yeah and and that that is you know when you see switching are are you a fan of switching 1 through 5 are you a fan of switching 1 through 3 a fan of switching as much as you can um, how how do you how do you envision that?
0: I, I would say what works for your personnel. So sure, if you have a team where you can switch one through five, that's great. You see a lot of teams will just switch big on big mm-hmm. stuff, and um, they'll s- switch with the perimeters. Um, some teams, you know, are, are going are not going to switch on off the ball screens, but they're going to switch every ball screen or every handoff. Um, there's different ways to do it. I just value switching because ultimately everything a coach does, it's about your personnel, you know, and obviously you can recru- recruit a certain. So, you know, you recruit a certain type of personnel that, to play in a system that you prefer. Um, you go.
1: Oh no, I was just, I was just gonna ask. I've, you know, I've never made that distinction. Yeah, I mean, in my I don't head. I don't
0: necessarily know which I prefer. I prefer what works best for that team. Well, so like if you have, if you're Kansas with Adoka, you're not, you're not gonna switch one through five with no. him because he struggles. And that then that gets. I, if I may, this I've tweeted this and I've been thinking about it here recently. The ability of a big man to play defense on the perimeter is enormous. You know, if I if I had a guy who it's I thought system changing. It, right, and it gives you so much value. And if you watch, if you have a guy with NBA type potential, and you're bringing him up as a big guy, oh my goodness, you watch an NBA game. I, if you if you can't guard on the perimeter, I don't. You can't play. You know, basically, is a deal. Or you better if you're poor at it, you better make up for it in a lot of other ways on the court because they are going to expose you. And everyone can shoot. Everyone can dribble now. Pretty much everyone could pass. So. Then that means on defense, <laughs> you need to have the ability to guard all of that everywhere on the court. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I never made the
1: distinction though between switching on and off ball screens. Yeah. Just so, 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 so I can understand mm-hmm. when when you're talking about not switching versus switching on off ball screens. That's when. Uh, someone who doesn't have the ball sets a screen for another person right. who doesn't have the ball mm-hmm. hopefully to free them up for maybe a driving action or right. a corner three or something sure. like that you know what are the pros and cons from a defensive perspective about switching off-ball screens versus not switching off ball screens because well, that's something I really sure. haven't thought about well
0: here's the danger in, in switching a situation like that so you know say you got a a perimeter player down like on the block and the the big man setting a pin down screen for him, just to give a visual example of one type. You have to be careful because if you are switching, um, it's called slipping the screen. So if I know a team switching on us, it's kind of fruitless to execute that screen right into the switch. Unless the purpose is to get a mismatch and he's going to get it and try to dump it down and feed the post. So what you do, and you can do this anywhere on the court, with when you have two guys coming together, who don't have the ball. I act like I'm screening you, and before I ever set the screen on your defender, boom! I make it—you know—I I slip, slip the screen. screen yeah. yeah, I think a lot of people are familiar with that term. Sure. Uh, that's one way to attack. <laughs> excuse me, a switching defense off the ball. So that's a danger there. Most teams. I don't think there's a whole lot of teams that are switching off the ball stuff. Unless
1: I feel like the only time you do it's a back screen. Unless it's the
0: same position. Right. And even when I played when I played on teams that didn't switch, that would be the exception. Back the back screen if you really get back screen, boom, you gotta switch. Now if you're prepared for it and you know, the guy helps off some you get over the screen, you know, you don't necessarily have to, but sure. Um, but I, I think most teams what you know, just in general, my perception of what I've been seeing th- this season, pretty much everything on the ball, it's a switch. Off the ball, most teams are going to trail. You know, they, they chase the cutter, and the guy defending the screener, will, you know, will hedge, you know, give a little support to help the guy get through it. hmm
1: Okay, so um, I, uh, I'm, I'm excited. This is exactly the kind of stuff we want to get into on the show as the year and the season develops, we're going to hopefully be engendering smarter basketball fans. And that's kind of the whole point of this show, is to uh, teach me uh, and hopefully teach you guys at home and when I say teach, I mean Jerry's doing the teaching, not me. Because you know, I, I'm just a guy. I, I watch a lot of college basketball. I feel good about it. I think I know college basketball. But there's a different level when you've played, you've coached, you've uh, scouted, like Jerry well, has. And, and my dad was a
0: great coach. So <laughs> I grew up watching film. You know, all this, all the stories about Belichick's kid. You know, Don Meyer and Jerry Meyer. Yeah, we were you, doing you, the same thing. I was in. You've the got office. better
1: hair than Belichick's kid. <laughs>
0: Yeah, no hair might be better than that hair.
1: Uh, yeah, that that is definitely a take. Although on the... I like it. Oh, that's I like that's a the mullet. I'm not into it. I'm not. I like into it. I
0: like hearing his dad speak with a mullet on, and that's what I feel like I'm watching.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, so so the basketball season, uh, the college basketball, uh, season is really about to kick off now that um winter break is starting to come to a close for students. Um, teams are going to get back into it. Conference play is going to get started, and we'll get back into you know the actual games, and hopefully we'll be able to continue building off of this institutional basketball knowledge to talk about to talk about the games that we're seeing, and hopefully you know you guys at home can take these things that Jerry is uh, teaching me and teaching us. Uh, and, and use that to watch the games and understand the games better. Uh, Jerry, you got anything? You got anything <coughs> else before next week? I'm
0: good, man. I enjoyed it. I love talking conceptually about the, the game. So well, that's good. Really
1: enjoyed it. And one thing, one thing I do think we're going to have to hit on in the near future, whether it's next week or after, I'm not sure. But this is the first year uh, in, in a long time that college basketball's three point uh, shots. Uh, made percentage has gone down and that's uh probably because they moved the line back but that's something i do want to talk about so you yeah, guys at home that'll be a good topic
0: on, for next one yeah.
1: keep an eye on that and uh for jerry meyer and 24 7 sports i'm Tony levitt and this is the 24 7 sports college basketball show we'll see you next week happy new year's